housed within the Environmental Conservation Lab, you're listening to the Akiwan Podcast. This is episode one, titled Aki, where we take an in-depth look at land-based education, its meaning, its benefits, and how a new project called Kiskinamakuin Learning Science Through the Land got started. Hello and thank you for returning to the Akiwan podcast. My name is Taylor and my spirit name is or spirit names are Brown Buffalo and Lily Pad Root Woman. I want to thank you for tuning into the Akiwan podcast. It's nice to see that you have returned. You liked episode zero and now here you are back for episode one. One, just a quick language learning lesson. Akiwan is an Ojibwe word that translates to it is the earth, the land. Now, the reason why I chose this to be our first episode is because it is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Um, and we're going to be looking at land-based education. Throughout season one, we're going to be taking a look at environmental issues and justices, teachings and stories that Indigenous people hold. And each episode is going to be titled in the Indigenous language, whether that be Cree, Anishinaabe, Anuk, Michif, whatever it may be, the title of the podcast is going to be in association with what the theme is going to be. So one more language lesson, our episode one, which is this episode right here, is called Aki, which is also an Ojibwe word that means earth. This episode is going to be taking a look at land-based education, as I said, and how this project, uh, Kiskinamakuin, actually started. We're going to have a guest speaker on in a little bit of time. We'll, uh, we'll get to him in just a little bit. But first, I kind of want to just talk about land-based education um, as a whole and what it means to me and what the purpose and why it is important from my perspective. So land-based education, it is a v- very familiar word to most nowadays and it is becoming a lot more common in today's modern education system, which I think is absolutely great. I know of some schools that have been integrating land-based education into their curriculums, which is amazing. There are so many sources and resources out there that share what land-based education is about. I mean, you can go you can go through any community, any First Nation or, or Métis or Inuit community, and you can sit there and you can talk to traditional knowledge holders about why land-based education is so important and the meaning behind it and how it is interconnected with our ancestry and a lot of our teachings as Indigenous people. So land-based education really starts, as you guessed, out on the land. (laughs) It is getting our people back on the land, which is so important to learn the ways of our ancestors. It is an environmentally, excuse me, friendly and environmentally focused way of teaching and learning as Indigenous people have always been one with nature. We've never been against nature nor above nature. We are a part of nature. So when we take 
uh, youth or community members or elders or whomever it may be out on the land. We are taking a part of that person back to where we came from, teaching them the ways of our grandmothers, our grandfathers, and how they live their life. And that's that's what really gets like the hair on my arms to stand up. It's just like hearing these stories and seeing like the looks on people's faces and myself learning so much while being out on the land with everybody that I work with and the kids that I work with. And as a land educator myself, in case you have guessed at this point, I have first handedly, I've seen the positive impacts that land based education has on our youth and has on the communities of, as a whole that I, I've had the pleasure of visiting. I work with a new Indigenous youth initiative. Um, we're called Kiskinamakawin, which translate is a Cree word that translates roughly to learning science through the land. What we do, I'm going to give you a brief synopsis, but we'll get more into detail in a little bit later on in the show. What we do briefly is we go out to different communities across Manitoba and northern Ontario, northwestern Ontario, I should say, and we run anywhere between three to five day camps. There are also one and two day workshops and what it does is we get the youth anywhere between the ages of I've had as young as nine and I've had as old as 24. So there is no 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 specific age gap here. But we take indigenous youth. We take the youth from these communities out on the land. We we connect them with elders and community members and leadership in their own communities. And we do things like nature walks, shelter building. We do ceremony um, we do water testing, which I'll get more into as well. Just so many different aspects. And you can do so much um, with land-based education in a five-day, five four-day camp. Our one- to two-day workshops are a little more tight in schedule, but you can still do a lot, a lot of impact with those one- and two-day workshops. This form of learning, this land-based education, it gives a sense of belonging. And I've seen this. It gives a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose to, to the Indigenous youth that we work with. What it does is that it brings them closer with their community. It brings them closer to their leadership who they may or may not even know who they are, for one thing. It also brings them closer to the educators such as myself, university students who I work with, professors, scholars, their teachers, Jordan's principals maybe, like the people who work for that foundation who helps us a lot in our camps. It brings them closer and bridges that gap, which I think is so important with the elders. The youth and the elders in our community need to start working closer together because those elders hold traditional knowledge, especially traditional land knowledge of how our lands and our communities have have changed and shaped and shifted throughout throughout the like last hundred years, even the last 50 years, even. So that's a very big, a big concept in our camps that we that we like to address. And then also it in most and one of the most important aspects to me is that it brings our youth closer to our language <laughs> and I cannot stress this enough that language revitalizing our language is so important in this day and age. I am not a fluent um, Ojibwe speaker 
I am Anishinaabe from Broken Head Ojibwe Nation. I am slowly learning the language. And if I had access to the resources of um, language carriers and language speakers of Ojibwe and Anishinaabe, how different my life could have been. There was nothing like this. There was no... There were no camps like this that I that that were around when I was a child or when I was a teenager even. Mind you, I had a different mindset back then. I culture wasn't as big of a thing for me as some other things might have been. But now finding that sense and like being able to to help these youth is quite fulfilling right now. So revitalizing language is another very important aspect of the Kiskinemakuan and any land based. Uh, land-based camps. I work for Kiskinemakuan, which is learning science through the land. And just to um, just to go back a bit and tell you where this all started. So this initiative is being run out of the University of Manitoba, which is where we record this podcast. And it is run through Winniskitan, and which is also a Cree word for rise up, um, which is an alliance of hydro impacted communities. Winniskitan represents an alliance of Cree, Anishinaabe, and Métis communities. There's researchers from the university, from the communities, from non-governmental organizations who work together to draw awareness to complex and interconnected implications of hydropower and how they relate to environmental, social, cultural and health impacts. Now, we're not going to go into depth about what Waniskatan is all about. I briefly spoke about it on our episode zero, our launch and learn. Um, and we'll get more into depth about Waniskatan next week when we talk more about uh, the water and hydropower and things like that. We'll talk more about that at the end of the episode as well. But if you want to know more right now, this very instant, if you're real eager and you want to get in there, you can go to the website, which is www. I don't know why I say that. Does anybody need to say www. anymore? The World Wide Web. Dot. Hydro Impact is C- CA. I was going to say CD. Wow. Blast from the past. So hydroimpacted.ca is the website for Winniskatan. If you really want to look more into what we do at Winniskatan and the research that's going on. Visit that website. Just to get back to Kiskinemakuan. So the goal of these camps um, is to promote environmental science, which is something I love, and indigenous traditions, (coughs) which is also something I love, through community-shaped land-based indigenous camps, which is amazing. We do workshops as well as internships here at the university. What we also do and what we also want is to provide Indigenous youth with these opportunities that they may not have, especially those in northern communities. But although I must say those in northern communities may even have more access to to these types of camps and to this type of knowledge more so than individuals and youth here in the inner city urban area. So what we also do is, like said, uh, provide Indigenous youth with opportunities to learn about environmental science through Indigenous culture, worldviews, and and customs. So but before I get more into where we've gone as camps and and the impacts that we've had, I would first like um, to give you more detail because I think it's important to know 
where these camps come from so you know that we're not just full of it. <laughs> so I'm going to give you um, more knowledge on this initiative that is Kiskinamakawin, what the camps are, how they came to be, the overall mission, who we work with, what we hope the outcome of the camps will be. And one way that I hope to deliver this to you is that I spoke with one of the founders, the lead educators and developers of Kiskinamakwin, Dr. Steph McLaughlin. One of the things that I really wanted to know from Steph when I spoke to him was where the idea for the camps came from and what the process is to to get to get to get these camps up and running. Here's what he had to say. I think uh, at one level it came out of 20 years of work with elders and other knowledge keepers and indigenous communities across Western Canada. And so I'd always been present initially as a teacher around science-based education and then involved in community initiatives around energy justice, around the oil sands, for example, or more recently around hydro. And, uh, And so this really became an opportunity to bring both those things together. And so... I, I knew and still know that there was an interest in part of many communities to create opportunities for youth and uh, in education, formal education is an important part of that. So Steph and I also got to talking about what the main goal of Kiskinamakawin is and what he hopes the youth gain from these camps. Over the summers there often aren't lots of opportunities for youth to do fun things and, and now as a parent 30 years later, um, I know how captivating screens are. And so the idea was in the short term, whether it was possible to create an environment where people could have fun and learn at the same time. Uh, And in this case, when I say people, for sure the youth, but also the the scientists who sometimes are from the communities and sometimes from outside, uh, the elders and knowledge keepers and other people who might be interested. And how do you think the communities we visited have benefited from us being there? The idea was to, rather than having a one-size-fits-all curriculum, which is standard, right? And so you have a provincial education curriculum, say, around the environment, um, which largely dictates what teachers do. The idea was to create early on an, an opportunity to meet with leaders or other kind of interested people from the community to figure out what their interests were, um, and what environmental concerns, if any, there were. And so of those communities, um, most of them had a pressing environmental concern, and in some cases they may not have, and then that allows a different kind of flexibility just to to, to, to focus on whatever is, is of interest. And, and, and so it was that process where we would have those conversations early on, and then we would kind of create a curriculum around that which then could deliver ideally on those interests. Um, and then within that bigger picture, just kind of having um, resources so that we can then reflect the interests of the youth and the kids that are participating in the camps. And sometimes you don't know those things until you're actually out on the land, you know, um, and interacting with those with those folks. I would like to thank Steph for taking the time out of his very busy day at the University of Manitoba for chatting with myself for the Akiwan podcast. 
And as he mentioned, so many great things about Kiskinamakuan, and I hope this initiative and these camps continue for for years down the line and that we help the community and elders learn new tasks, even though they are the ones who are the most knowledgeable people out there. I hope they learn from us and we provide them with other resources, additional resources that they can learn. Now, I wanted to chat more about our first year as a camp. Uh, the communities that we have visited were in order. Broken Head Ojibwe Nation was our first one. And then we visited Kisi Kunin, um, Ojibwe First Nation, Sagin First Nation, Kuchiching First Nation, and Opipinapiwin, which is a Cree nation that is South Indian Lake, way, 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 way up north in Manitoba. I think it's like 14 hours up north. It was, it was insane. I have no favorites, but one of the th things that are amazing about these camps is just the sheer joy and look upon these youth's face while you're out there on the land at every single every single camp is unique and completely different from one another. We're teaching them environmental science. And you know what? I really I really think that I shouldn't be speaking about this through just this one program, just this one initiative that I work on. I'm pretty sure that like I know of a lot of different land based education workshops and organizations that do the exact same thing and I feel a little selfish when I talk about it from just my perspective and I'm sure it's the same for a lot of a lot of these camps but I only know my my perspective right but anyways one of the great things is just seeing how they interact with each other how they interact with the elders how they interact with us how they interact with the people who are running running the camps um it's like they change. It's like a, it's like their spirit ignites within their bodies when they're out on the land. When I see these youth filleting fish or medicine picking or the human relations that they're doing, the shelter building, all of it. It's like, it's like they're not even trailblazing. It's like they're lighting that path on fire. And I truly believe that they're going to remember this throughout these throughout the rest of their lives and I think it's just I just think it's amazing I can get all worked up and I could talk about land-based education all day to be so getting back to the Kiskinamakuin camps we've taken a bit of a in-depth look look <laughs> we've taken a bit of an in-depth look at where we've been how we started and I'd like to just let you know that this is you have the opportunity, you have the chance to be a part of the Kiskinamakuin project. If you would like us to join your community and come out and, and, and speak with the youth and teach them as well, you definitely, definitely have a chance to do that. We will work with educational leaders, teachers, harvesters, elders, trappers, hunters, boat, boaters, tree tappers, whoever it may be in your community, if you yourself too want to bring the camps to your community, you definitely can. You just got to contact me. We'll talk about that later too as well. Um, one of the biggest skills that we bring to the youth is the water testing and sampling. So we have mobile water testing labs where we take the youth out onto the water teach them how to take proper water samples and we bring them back and then 
We test for things like chlorine. There's nitrites, nitrates, arsenic, microbiology such as coliforms, E. coli, fecal coliforms, iron and lead and copper. What what environmental concerns do you have as a unique community? Would be like drinking water quality, contamination, wildlife health, human health, whatever that may be. And then finally, other things that you want to consider are the activities that you want to bring for your community. After listening to this podcast, I kind of gave you an idea of how to start a camp or what the purpose of land-based education is. And I hope I helped you in some way. I know I can can just sit here and chat about it all day. (laughs) I thank you so much for listening. (laughs) I had a great time. You've reached the end of the Act 1 podcast. This was episode 1, Aki, Land-Based Education. I'd like to thank UMFM 101.5 for allowing us to record right here in the studio on campus. Winiskitan for your support. Kiskinamakuin for the resources on land-based education. And big thank you to you for listening. Our next episode, Nebe, will air March 20th and talk about World Water Day. Miigwech to all my relatives.